You're listening to the Mom Inspired Show, episode 43 with Emily Party. Welcome to the Mom Inspired Show. I'm your host, Amber Sandberg, and this show is created to inspire, encourage, and add a little extra fun to your day. Hey, you guys, in this episode, we chat with marriage and family counselor, Emily Party. And I really want to kind of give a shout out to all the expecting moms, especially if this is your first baby. Um, I I know it's always nerve wracking that you don't know what to expect when you're having a baby and how that's going to change everything. I also know that when you add each child, you don't know how that's going to change the dynamics and whatnot. So this is really a great episode for everyone, even if you're not expecting, but I did want to kind of say, hey, if you're expecting or know someone that's expecting their first child or number two, three, four, et cetera, let your friends know because I feel like this is really a great episode with Emily and she kind of walks us through some things to pay attention to so that we can kind of be intentional with every new addition to the family. So some of the things that we talk about are pre-parental counseling and how having a baby can affect your relationship with your spouse. So I didn't even really think about that with, you know, you have premarital counseling to get ready to get married, but to, you know, have counseling sessions before you have a baby. So we talk about that. And we also talk about the dynamics that change with every child you add to your family, as well as she shares some advice for couples on how to navigate all the changes. And I also ask her her thoughts on postpartum depression and some ways to walk through that with your husband. So I hope this show leaves you inspired to be more prepared for the transition in your lives, if it be a new baby or adding another baby, and how to be vocal for what you need that you can be the best mom for your family. Let's go to the show. Emily, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Absolutely, Amber. Thank you so much for having me. So I love to start off every show with an icebreaker. I love to travel. And so I love asking people where their favorite destinations are. So what is your favorite vacation spot that you have gone to and why? And this can be with or without kids. Yeah, you know, I we moved here from Southern California. And so for a long time, that area was home and not vacation. But we don't get back very often. But I have to say now that we do live so far away, Laguna Beach is just a dream. And it is absolutely if somebody just handed me traveler's check and said, go take off. (laughs) That is where I would go. I would hop a plane to Laguna Beach in a heartbeat any given day. Yeah. So we have been there. We were driving through from Long Beach to uh, San Diego area and we loved it. And I actually have a really crazy story about Laguna Beach. Um, Oh boy. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I still would go back, but it was so weird. My husband and I were standing on a corner by Jimmy Rockets. I don't know if it's still there. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's about, it's on the main drag Okay. Uh, Jimmy yeah, yeah. Rockets. Okay. Yes, I do. So, so I, we were standing in the corner. We were in a cross intersection and um, I turned back to point to, to my husband to say, oh, there's Jimmy Rockets and stuff like that. And then, then the, the next thing I know, there is this lady, an older lady who's <laughs> short. And so I'm, I'm, t- I'm telling you this because she isn't like this big lady that seems intimidating. And she hit me with a stick. 
what? Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. I mean, it was like, it's not like she whacked me, but she hit me in the head. And I'm oh like, my gosh. what? And, and Todd didn't see it. So he was standing next to me and looking out in the road. I'm like, she just hit me with a stick. I'm like, oh no. I don't even know to this day what her problem was or if she was crazy. <laughs> I mean, obviously she's crazy. I mean, who's somebody yeah. with a stick? But then she was like walking across the street and kept looking back at me. And I'm like, does what she think she knows me? Like, I don't even know. So that is my Laguna Beach story, oh, which no. is not usually um, people's stories when they think about no, Laguna Beach. No, but <laughs> we need to get you back there and let's let's do brunch at Las Brisas and correct this memory for you. <laughs> you know, I want to go back. That's on my list. Um, I want to go back and I'd like to go back with the girls at some point. But I have thought about going back because we went to... Uh, two years ago, we went to Big Sur and went that direction and okay. uh, up to San Francisco. And that was amazing. And I mean, it's been uh, probably nine years since we've been to Laguna Beach. So I would like to go back. And so yeah. I'll have to pick your brain on where to go for you bet. Uh, places to eat and stuff like that. But you no, bet. It's awesome. awesome. I love it. Well, let's get started. Um, how about yeah. you tell us what your name is, where you're from, how many kids you have and how you got to where you are today? You bet. So I'm Emily Party. I am the wife to Josh of over 10 years now. We have three beautiful daughters and we live in Nashville, Tennessee. So we're really glad to make uh, our home here and plant roots forever. We moved here about four years ago from Southern California, like I said. So I'm not a California native. My husband is. I actually grew up in the middle of Kansas. So I've hopped around this country a little bit back and forth, but we're glad to settle in Nashville, Tennessee, and we really love it here. So what um what made you guys move from California to here because I feel like that's a that's a hard transition as much as Nashville yeah. is awesome it's very hard to leave the coast either side you know to leave the ocean Yes yeah it really was a difficult decision you know we love the area we certainly miss our friends our community there that we still love dearly um but we really made the decision to move uh, to Nashville a, uh, a few years before we actually took the leap out here, but my brother and his wife and kids have lived here for over 20 years. So we've been in and out of Nashville, just visiting family and really wanted to move a little closer to family and have uh, a really great I don't know, value system for our girls to grow up in. And yeah. so the, you know, the skyrocket prices of homes in mm, Southern California yes. was never going to be attainable for us. And that was something that we had both, my husband and I grown up in the same, uh, like our own childhoods in the same home, you know, the whole time we grew up. And so that was something we wanted for our girls was to kind of move somewhere before they got in a school system and plant roots and develop communities so that they could have that experience of kind of being in the same place for the majority of their lives growing up. And so so yeah, we had uh, looked everywhere and Nashville just really fit. And of course, my brother being here was a huge draw. And then I had uh, applied to the master's program at Lipscomb University. And once I got into that program, that kind of sealed the deal. So we made the move uh, in 2013 and yeah, been and here ever since. So why don't you go into a little bit about uh, what you were going to school for at Lipscomb? Yeah, so I had... Uh, I had a dream of building a private practice that ha would help uh, parents and becoming parents, right? So if you think of premarital counseling, uh, helping, you know, being part of the wedding planning that prepares you for marriage, well, 
I have always had um, this dream to become a counselor who would utilize the next phase of the relationship, so pre-parental counseling. Um, and I really thought that I would use that in my writing. I had authored a book called For All Maternity, which was my own experience of getting uh, into motherhood, becoming a mother, and how it affected the relationships in my own life. And as I was kind of reaching people through my book and through my mommy blog um, at the time, I realized, you know, if I really want to help other moms, I need some credibility beyond my own experience. <laughs> and so I had always loved counseling. I'd loved being a client. And slowly, as uh, as I was writing more and more, people started to say, have you ever thought of being a counselor? And I thought, oh, no, no, I couldn't be on the other side of the couch, you know, <laughs> and so um, I thought more and prayed more about it and looked into programs in Nashville and was just really impressed with Lipscomb's new marriage and family therapy program. And so, uh, applied and, and got in. And like I said, that kind of sealed the deal for the move to Nashville. And so we really took a leap of faith and, um, you know, took our two kids at the time, uh, in tow and traveled the 2000 miles and, had all our belongings and you know had rented an apartment site unseen and didn't have a job here at the time and so it was truly a leap of faith to um, dive in and and really sink my teeth into the curriculum and so it was a two year program that was quite intensive um, and then yeah finished uh, in 2015. Now, did you get your master's in um, counseling? Is that what what you I got? Did okay? Yeah, my master's in marriage and family therapy. Okay. And then, um, so do you have a private practice now? I do. So I own and, um, and counsel through Ready Nest Counseling. I founded just a year ago in Nashville, Tennessee. And Ready Nest Counseling, we offer individual and couples therapy through the life stages of conception, pregnancy, postpartum, and infertility. So helping moms, new moms, new dads, and couples with their relational wellness and all of the um, ups and downs, joys and challenges that come with parenthood, becoming parents, making that decision, and then in the postpartum period as well, dealing with perinatal mood disorders like postpartum depression, anxiety, uh, along with just life adjustment. Yeah. Well, and you know what stood out to me when you were talking about infertility? Because I feel like that's such a mm. struggle with um, couples. You know, I mean, it takes a toll, you know, when it just yeah. keeps not happening. And then it's such an emotional roller coaster. So I think that's great that that's part of your practice because I really do feel like people don't even know the stress that is going to come yeah. along with that, you know, and, and, um, what that feels like. And so, um, I wanted to jump into, um, how did all of this and, and all your schooling change your relationships, especially with your husband and your girls? Yeah. I mean, grad school is no joke. Um, <laughs> uh, we had had a little bit of practice with that in our relationship because my husband, uh, got, went to a master's program as well when we lived in California. And so he, he was in a master's program, um, at Biola university where we worked at the time and when our first daughter was born. And so we had a little bit of taste of what that took and the, you know, priority of school and how you integrate that into your world. Um, and that was a little bit easier just because, uh, he, I was more flexible in the caretaking of, of our new baby at the time. But um, then with two kids, when I jumped into grad school, we knew it was going to be really hit the ground running. It was um, double the amount of 
hours units wise uh, for for my master's program, as well as all of the clinical practicum and internship hours that I needed to be able to to graduate from the program. And so it was a team effort. And so we really, we call ourselves team party, Josh and I, because that is really what it takes. It was a full team party effort that, you know, I had the homework, but I couldn't have done it without him, you know, supporting me, but also then taking care of the girls and getting everybody, you know, where they needed to go. And, um, and so, yeah, it was definitely a a huge celebration for the both of us when we crossed the finish line. Yeah. And then after I graduated, I had our third daughter two weeks later. So it was, (laughs) it was, uh, which kind of sums me up in a, in a way (laughs) and just keep going and pressing forward and, you know, always biting off more than I can chew and somehow, uh, getting through it with the the help of, yes, yeah, (laughs) exactly. Yeah. So what would you say the biggest issue people have when they come in to see you? Yeah, you know what's beautiful about my work is the variety and and it's so funny because I built my practice around this niche of people who are struggling through conception all the way uh, through the postpartum period. Uh but so many of the issues that they come in with uh, really run the gamut. I mean, it it often is with role uh, adjustment. So whether that is adjusting to each other as new, as a new mom, as a new dad, or like you said, infertility really takes its toll early on where people are literally living life two weeks at a time. So they're either waiting to ovulate or mm-hmm. waiting to test. Right. And then they're waiting and waiting and waiting. And then um, they often get it stuck in a pattern of, you know, if we can just get to this point, everything will be better. And often that's if we can just get pregnant, ah, oh, then everything will be fine. And then they get pregnant and they realize, oh, I have a whole new set of worries. And so if we can just get through the pregnancy and have this baby, then, oh, and then they have the baby and it doesn't sleep or you have, you know, postpartum issues and struggling with breastfeeding and all of those things. And if we can just get this and, you know, it, and it takes a while for people to understand that a lot of those uh, changes and milestones, they they solve one problem, right? You know, having a baby solves the problem of having a baby. That's about it. <laughs> <laughs> it comes with a whole new host of other other issues. And and we live in a society where Instagram and social media and all kinds of things bombard us with perfection and the idea of uh, what. Uh, you know, what's attainable and setting our expectations way too high for what that experience should mean for us. And so people come in with lots of questions about just uh, who am I and what have I done, (laughs) Uh, regardless of where they are on that journey. Um, And I think realigning and redefining those expectations and giving them, uh, empowering them with the definition of what this role means for you, whether that's becoming pregnant or becoming a mother, becoming a father, and uh, what that can really mean for your life and the support that it requires around you. Yeah, I really like that. And I was going to ask you, what, what, um, what do you feel about family dynamics and how they change when you add a baby, even if it's your first baby or your third baby? What are some tips that you like to tell your clients to prepare themselves for this new stage of life? Absolutely. So the the first baby definitely is always a massive milestone, right? Because there's the unknown. So for the relationship of 
changing, welcoming a new baby. I like to compare it to um, the analogy of salt to a recipe. So um, salt is one of those ingredients that you rarely add salt to a recipe to make it taste salty. You know, you Mm -hmm. actually usually add salt to make it bring out the other flavors that are already present in the recipe. So it, it magnifies it. It intensifies the flavors that are already there. Well, a baby does the same thing to a marriage, to the relationship that's already there. So you, if you have a high conflict, volatile relationship, and then you add a screaming baby to it, <laughs> the stress will not lessen, right? That you're, you're intensifying mm. the ingredients that are already in the relationship. Right. But yeah. if you are prepared, if you have trust, uh, if you have a foundation, a commitment, love, um, then adding a baby can really enrich your experience in that relationship, deepening the connection. And we want to utilize um, all of those fuzzy feelings that couples have right before they have a baby and then uh, prevent kind of this downfall that often comes with bringing the baby home. In fact, 67% of couples experience a decline in relational satisfaction after bringing their first baby home. Um, but what that tells us is that a third of the people out there are doing something right, right? So so what is that? And we we work on those communication skills and those bonding and attachments and help each other uh, adjust to what they can expect and even what they can't expect necessarily, but be able to equip them with the tools they'll need for the unknowns that come with adding a baby. So when you add, you know, additionally, when you're expanding your family, um, whether that was planned or unplanned, then of course you, the same concept is present, you know, you, it intensifies what already exists in the presence of the home. But you also have new sibling dynamics as well. And so there is an additional relationship that you're going to be able to uh, witness and and see the beauty that comes from that. But then also you have a new challenge of juggling responsibilities and who does what in the home when. And then really approaching that with teamwork, team effort, and being able to see uh, where your strengths are in your relationship and utilizing those strengths between the both of you. Yeah. And, and I do, I agree with that because, you know, I think with the first, it's hard because you don't know what to expect, right? You don't know mm-hmm. what is normal, what is not normal. Um, right. And then it's hard to gauge all that. And so, and then with the, with the second, and I assume with third and fourth and stuff like that, but um, that this would be similar and it would just be even more uh, complicated yeah. is that, so even with adding my second my first had just learned to do, ha, you know, do potty training and then mm. I was trying to nurse and we were having issues. And so I'd be trying to nurse and we just figured it out. And then, you know, my oldest would yeah. need to run to the bathroom and I'm like, oh my gosh, like I just sat down <laughs> to try to figure this out. Like, and then now I got to yes. go, now I got to run and get up with the baby, you know, in on me and my boobs all over the place. And right. I mean, it's just kind of like, oh my gosh, but, and that's really hard to grasp before mm-hmm. you have the the next baby, right? You can't really yep. imagine how life is going to look. And and obviously people have their kids uh different timings. So, mm-hmm. you know, you may have kids really close together and that's a challenge. You may have them a little bit further apart and then you have those challenges and then even maybe f- even further apart. And then maybe they're right. doing sports and all that kind of stuff. And now you have a baby and and you feel like you have to go to softball games and all this stuff. And so there's all these different challenges within 
that dynamic too of how far apart the kids are and um or you know you can't sleep because you have the other kids up right like you can't there's no more sleeping when the baby's sleeping and uh, and for me it was so challenging even though I had um preschool for my toddler at the time she only had it for about a month and a half after I had Mm. my second and then she was home with me for the summer but my second hated being in the car and it was so hard to drive Mm. my toddler to preschool which would help me during the day by her being gone but getting out the door and just driving there was a nightmare I mean if people were talking to me during that time they would know I'd be like I need to pull over I need to pop the pasty in her mouth (laughs) and then I need to get back in the car and go and so you know you would think oh okay this would be a problem but it was and so it's all those dynamics too that I feel like change up everything and it's hard to know exactly what you're going to be dealing with until you're dealing with it. And yeah, yeah. I was going to, I was going to ask you, is there a certain time frame that you like to tell people like, Hey, this is going to be, you're going to be in the weeds for a while. Okay. So <laughs> don't have expectations about, you know, having romantic time. And I don't even mean sex. I'm with your husband. I'm just talking about having conversations that are just about you guys, not about the baby or the toddler or the kids or whatever. And also just feeling normal for yourself. Do you feel like there's a time frame mm-hmm. that you at least try to tell people like, just get through this part and then mm-hmm. you can really start thinking like, okay, now where are we at? Yeah, there, there definitely seems to be a, a shift in the relationship and in just the progress following birth at, at about the three month mark. Now that's you know, that's, I, I hate to give hard and fast kind of set answers because then somebody's like, well, it's been three months and nothing changed. Right. right? Yes. But, yeah. I totally but, understand. Yeah. Like usually around the three month mark, um, mom has healed. Uh, dad is maybe back to work, you know, and in a routine and a, a little bit of a routine has been established. And so um, whether that involves breastfeeding or bottle feeding, that is usually decided by then and is kind of making some progress. Um, and usually the three month mark baby is in somewhat of a predictable pattern of sleeping. Now, whether that's a lot of sleep or not, that (laughs) can vary from baby to baby, but, um, at least they get like what lack of sleep is, right. The parents are like, okay, now I understand how to live on, you know, two hours at a time for a little while here. Yeah. And so that, that is, um, definitely a, a critical, stage of the of the relationship and you've usually been cleared by your OB to have the 6 week appointment and so usually you know hopefully there's been a little rekindling of either a date night or sex has been reestablished in the relationship and so there's uh not necessarily back to normal you know but at right. least we're talking about it you know yeah. it's back on the table <laughs> and we're you know we can entertain intimacy again exactly yeah. so right. i really do like to address intimacy yeah. as a as a whole, not just sex, you know, that it involves flirtation, com- communication, conversation, talking, uh, support, and then, uh, you know, roles and what you, how you receive love. So kind of into that love language idea that for a while, uh, especially following childbirth, that um, daddy up in the middle of the night, changing the diaper or bottle feeding, that can be real love, right? That can really inspire uh, intimacy in mom and, and vice versa that you, you've taken on new roles that kind of 
expand the identity of who you are to one another. And so to revisit kind of what those love languages are and how that translates into your relationship can be really powerful. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, um, I'm totally forgetting what who writes um, the book Love Languages, just in case people don't know what we're referencing. Yeah, Gary Chapman. Yes. And is this just called love languages? It what is, is your the love five, language? five, the love, five languages. love languages. Yeah. yeah. And it's kind of an old school book, but you know, I, I, I like it. I yeah. keep it on the shelf and yeah. it's kind of, it's just a, a real easy, yeah. uh, you know, kind of identify how you receive love and interpret it and how you give love and it's interpreted. That's basically yeah, the premise exactly. of it. Well, and I have realized my daughter, she, so even doing love languages with your mm-hmm. kids, yeah. um, I, I think she likes gifts and then, um, and quality time. So, mm. you know, I think it even helps, you know, even with your kids to figure it out. It absolutely does. Yeah. Yep. My youngest is all about touch and then mm-hmm. I think words of affirmation. And so it's quite interesting. And, you know, going back to you know, understanding and, and not knowing what to expect when you keep adding kids, Again, mm-hmm. it's like the kids are different. And so you you can't just be one way with one child, you know, or be um, the same way with both ch- children or if you have three or four or whatever. Um, right. You really have to figure out like, okay, what is their personality? What do they need? And try to, you know, give them what they need. And it, it's going to look different than, say, your other kids. And so what, do yeah. you, what advice do you give for couples? Like if people are listening here, they're either pregnant or mm-hmm. uh, they just had their baby and they are in the thick of it, or people have added on their next baby and they just feel swamped and overwhelmed mm-hmm. and the mom feels haggard and feels you like bet. she doesn't look pretty and she's just like, ah, uh, she's like, I need to get this pregnancy weight off yeah. and she has spit up everywhere. Um, what what are some things that you feel like you tell couples, you know, to kind of get over this hump um, and kind of, mm-hmm. like you said, rekindle but not it be so overwhelming that they're like, okay, I can't imagine trying to, you know, get even out of the house. So do you yeah. have any tips that you could give us? Absolutely. Yeah, it's so true. So the first thing I just remind couples is you are so normal, okay, that this is a, a temporary phase of life. And I know that we get bombarded with the idea that uh, if you were just grateful enough and took you know, a second to appreciate what you have, then you wouldn't be as disappointed in what's going on in the day to day. And that's not true. That's what Instagram tells us. And I just really like to let couples know that you can be 100% grateful for what you have and 100% tired and sad sometimes at the same time. And we've been given this ability as humans to be able to hold in our capacity, multiple emotions all at once. And that's really the the push and pull of parenthood. When you look at this paradox of loving your kids, I would die for them, right? But oh man, are there times when I just want to wring their neck and quit? (laughs) Absolutely. And so we really, I like to just normalize that for people that, hey, you are so not alone in feeling that. And it's actually developmentally part of the process of your identity stretching and growing into this new role as a parent. But then with one another in a relationship, a couple things that I I just like to tell the the mom and dad that, oh yeah, you still have a marriage. You still have a partnership here. You still have a relationship that you need to nurture and, and prioritize. And it's really easy to get 
swamped down in the muck of neediness with your kids, especially if you have multiple kids and if they're toddlers and, you know, they need you, they just need you a lot. And so it can be really easy to put the baby first, put those kids first. And I really encourage them to realign that value system because then when you really invest in your partnership, uh, you your kids benefit from that. In fact, that's the most important thing that you can give a child is a healthy marriage, a healthy relationship, because that's where you feel inspired and motivated to then give because you're in a reciprocated healthy relationship that you are feeling fulfilled by. So a couple of things that are just the easiest thing in the world that you we overlook all the time is to have a like one minute, five minute and 10 minute contribution that you can give your partner. Okay. So the, the one minute thing that you can do is, you know, text, uh, send a cute picture, just say, thank you, stop and hug your spouse, you know, um, set things aside and ask how their day was and things that it really literally take one minute out of, out of your time. Five minutes, you know, that could be a quick phone call. That could be writing a note and leaving it in their car before work. Um, any, any of those things that you, you know, have those, every couple has those secret languages, those kind of private inside jokes or little things that they do for one another or did for one another before kids. And we often just lose sight of those things when the kids come. And so, uh, and then you can increase that all the way up to, you know, 10 minutes, give a foot massage, a back massage, um, talk about what you love about your partner or what you um, wear, daydream together, that kind of thing. And all the way up to half an hour. Okay, now you can actually watch a show on Netflix together and, and kick back and enjoy a glass of wine if you want and all of those things. But those little moments, we just, um, we often... They, they go unnoticed and then we really set the expectation to like, oh, we need a night away or, oh, we got to get a babysitter for a whole night and then make the most of it. And then most of the time what happens is a couple gets the sitter, pays a lot of money and they're just so tired. They end up disappointed at the end of the night. Yeah, you know, they're right. like this. This is a bummer because we we've set our expectations mm -hmm. way too high. And so. A little goes a long way. And that is something you just need to repeat to yourself and your partner again and again, that it isn't really about the money, the cost of, you know, what you're going out to do. It isn't even necessarily about the, the huge dates on the calendar. Those are wonderful to be able to get away and do things, but it's about those tiny little grains of love that build up into a really solid foundation of this, you know, beautiful mountain that you're building together. Yeah. And you know what, too? I feel like there's a lot of pressure to kind of be able to look amazing after having a baby, especially with mm. Hollywood and, um, you know, just being in fancy clothes, wearing high heels, which that's great if you like to do that. But I feel right. like it to put that pressure onto you to feel like, well, we can only count that count this as romantic time versus like just giving yourself right. some grace and 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 saying like you know what even if my hubby picks up takeout and we do get through 20 minutes of a Netflix show or whatever right. you want to watch that's really great because i i think it is very unrealistic sometimes what i think people see 
certain things and think, well, I should do that. Um, mm-hmm. And also not everybody has family around. So, you know, you may not feel ready to have a baby, you know, I'll back up, especially if this is your first to have mm-hmm. a babysitter come watch an infant. I mean, it's one thing if you yeah. have grandparents nearby and they're very involved and they can swing by and, you know, you run out for two hours. But even that, if you're breastfeeding, that is very challenging. So yes. I, I think... I think women have to really just kind of cut themselves some slack and know, hey, this is a very short season in life. And it feels like eternity at the moment because you're Mm -hmm. so tired. And life is very, I feel like minute by minute because you don't know when the baby's going to wake up. So a lot of things are hard to plan. But I feel like if you can just think, okay, so at least for the first three months, if we get to do a Netflix date and, you know, my husband picks up some delicious food that I don't have to cook and then clean up and deal with all that. That to me is success. And then just know there will be a time that you can go put on a tight dress with your yes. Spanx. Just kidding. No, so you will need them. Amen yep. to that. <laughs> and your high heels that you'll then change into your flats in the car. You and, bet. Um, you bet. <laughs> and, and there will be a time again. And, and it feels like that never will happen, especially when the baby comes, but it will. And and to mm-hmm. know that when you look back on that time, when the base, even the first year of having a baby, it is such mm-hmm. a small. Like it's like a blink of an eye, especially each kid you add. It's like, oh my gosh, like that feels so distant, you know? So when you're in it, you feel like, oh, we're never going to get this back. And I think people kind of, they put too much pressure on themselves. And so to just know it's okay, this is a small blip on the whole scheme of everything. So I do like that. I like that you're breaking it down into the one minute, five minute, 10 minute, 30 minute. And I think that's really realistic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a little goes a long way. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, so this kind of leads me into um, boundaries, especially mm. with first time moms, because I feel like they don't necessarily even know where they should have boundaries. I think when you when you start having kids, you kind of realize, okay, this is what I don't like. This is what I like. I don't need yeah. your opinion. But as a first time mom, you know, I think you're more open because you don't know what your style is. You don't know who you want where. And so mm-hmm. um, do you have any thoughts on that, especially for new time moms um, that are going to be having babies or just had babies to kind of protect themselves without feeling yeah. like they're being mean? Because I feel like this is a big issue that people are kind of like, I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. And then sometimes they, and then they end up not doing what they really want. Right. Or, or they just, I mean, so it's just, it can be messy. And so I just wondered as a counselor, what you would say about that. Yeah, absolutely. So depending on where the parents are, whether it's, you know, preconception and they have ideas or pregnancy. And so part of this is a birth plan or postpartum. So it, some of it can depend on which season you're in and what boundaries may need to be required depending on your support system. But the real core question here is what do you need? You know, and every person knows that about him or herself if they stop and really kind of analyze and even ask each other in the relationship, hey, babe, what what do I need? When you've seen me at stressful moments, you've seen me when I, you know, um, even if you look back on wedding planning, you know, like, what did I need? Looking back, that's a really good kind of analogy because uh, we kind of lose our minds, right? When things get stressful and, and um, we have expectations of how things should go. And if we could go back and kind of rewrite the script on our most stressful moments and milestones in our lives, like what did we really need? How would we, who would we want around us? How would we handle that? What would we 
give ourselves in a pep talk if that was the scenario that we had to relive again. And so depending on those needs, then we really kind of break down who is in your life, whether they're going to be here for that moment and they're, they live close by or they're going to come and visit and how long would you want them to stay? And then we really look at how you can task that person. So sometimes that's really uh, legitimate, basic, tangible tasks, you know, like my mom is a great cook, so she can make us casseroles. Perfect. Awesome. You got to ask mom to do that for you when she comes and visits for those two weeks. Um, and other times it's a really malleable, like, you know what, I just need encouragement. I, when I get tired and cranky and stressed out, I just always, you know, criticize myself first. And so, okay, great. Who are the people you believe the most and trust with giving you those words of encouragement? Great. And so really kind of breaking these goals down into bite size, you know, tangible things you can actually apply to your everyday life. And part of that is then looking at how you learn. How do you learn? How do you intake information? And so I ask a couple, you know, do you do you like being told? Do you like uh, notes? Do you read? Do you like YouTube? You know, what do you, how do you fulfill that need in yourselves? And then we really kind of line up how you intake information with who is able to give that to you at the time. Um, and that really kind of helps break it down, you know, make it manageable. And sometimes that means writing out a list for what you need and putting it on the fridge. And then every guest that comes and is there to visit the baby, you say, Hey, can you check the list? And you know, you're really great at this. Can you do that for me? And you know, that people love to do that. It's just that we don't often stop and ask them to take part in the ways that we actually need them in the moment. Yeah, I think that's great. I, I wanted to ask you, what about relationships that may not be the best, say a mm. daughter and a mother-in-law? And, um, you know, so they're trying to navigate that, right? Maybe the mother-in-law mm -hmm. really wants to be involved. And, you know, yeah, the, the daughter-in-law is trying to tread lightly um, and include her, but also mm -hmm. kind of stand her ground. Um, so any thoughts on, you know, relationships that might be a little bit, you know, wounded you or just, I don't know, you know, that Challenging, it, yeah. yeah, they may not like be best of buds and stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. So again, with the normal factor, you know, we can look at other families and other relationships and think, oh my gosh, they've got that figured out, right? They, they're just a well-oiled machine over there. And so I really do like to remind people that doubtful, right? That that's not necessarily as smooth sailing uh, as you might imagine. And if it is, then it's probably because they've invested a lot of time and maybe prayer and effort to be able to keep that communication line open. So for a couple entering into parenthood, the initial step is to really build that teamwork that you don't make a decision as single individuals. You're now building to your home and your family and that requires a new boundary that you haven't necessarily set before, which is around your own new little growing family. Um, and the dynamics of the relationships that are changing beyond that, um, you have to recognize their role shift as well. So if a mother-in-law, you know, wants to be really involved in the birth of a, a new baby, it helps a couple to recognize that this is a new role for grandma as well. Maybe she hasn't become a grandma before. Maybe she you know, is dealing with some of her own, from her perspective, you know, issues with 
that new phase of life, that new role change for herself. And most of that and the role change for grandparents is simply the need to be needed. Okay. That when you become a parent, that, that switch doesn't ever go off. You know, once, once it's on, it's on and they just want to feel involved, be helpful and be needed. And so we give them tasks to fulfill that need. So if grandma needs to, you know, wants to come, we may say, okay, grandma, you know, I, you know, or mom, whoever that is, we, we, this is how we feel loved by you. Wow. When you make us casseroles, that is so helpful. Thank you so much for doing that. We really feel loved in that way. And, you know, when she has different expectations, you say, thank you so much for thinking about us. That's always the classic line. I like to feed people. Thank you so much for thinking about us. You know how we really feel loved by you? It's in this way. Could you do that for us? Could you help us in this way? And you really just practice that dialogue as a team that is able to then deliver that communication effectively, calmly, you know, and without other expectations tied to it very clearly. Hey, this is how we feel loved by you and task them in that way. And so, you know, they're that leaves little room for compromise when they, if the other person, you know, the grandma or the mother-in-law, whoever feels that they're then needed and they're fulfilling their role of a helper in that way, uh, then there is little pushback necessarily in, in then them overstepping. But it is definitely a line that is different for every family, how they feel loved, how they, how much need they have of that person. Um, but really clearly kind of setting that expectation and telling them this is how we feel loved. This is what we need again and again and kind of redirecting those efforts can be really helpful. Yeah, I love that. And so I'm glad that you broke that down a little bit because I do feel like a lot of people struggle with that, especially with mm-hmm. their first child, you know, trying to figure out where they stand, not wanting to hurt people, you know, mm-hmm. but also not just yeah. being walked all over. But um, yeah. Emily, we're almost at the end of the show. And I wanted to hear your thoughts on postpartum depression. And yeah. um, I know that a lot of moms could think, well, if I don't want to hurt that baby, or I don't want to hurt myself, I probably don't have postpartum depression. And right. I know that that is very false, because mm-hmm. I feel like there's a um, a lot of mass that can be be postpartum depression. And it's not just that. Yeah. So, you know, I, I'd love to hear what your thoughts are on it and what to look for, because I think it's hard when you're sleep deprived to tell yep. between, are you just really tired or mm-hmm. are you really <laughs> battling depression? And, you know, when you're tired, you don't have as much patience. You're just, you know, frustrated and and stuff like that. So I think it's hard for people to mm-hmm. tell like, well, do I really have it? And I've talked to a lot of people that said they had it, but they didn't realize they had it until they mm-hmm. look back and go, yeah, I'm pretty sure I had that, you know? So right. I'm, I'm just thinking if we can kind of, you know, if there's any tips that you can share with us on what to look for to kind of indicate this isn't just being tired, that this could right. be depression. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So postpartum depression, you know, the classic kind of horror stories are on that are on the news are always the mom that either thinks about hurting herself or her baby or actually does hurt herself or her baby. And so uh, that is 
kind of what you hear. And so we like to give actual information and facts that aren't, it doesn't have to look like a horror story. Those are, you know, typical cases of postpartum psychosis is when you really see it on the news. And that is very, very rare. And so we like to let people know that's one to two in every 1000 moms after childbirth that that, that kind of, um, scary side of it is very rare. And so we, you know, I like to just say that to reassure people on what is normal and what isn't. Um, besides that, so the following the following childbirth, there's a two week window of what we would say is the baby blues, that it's 80% of moms experience uh, all kinds of symptoms that they don't necessarily expect. And that can not just be lack of sleep, but also crying, irritability, you know, overly sensitive, maybe um, some disconnect from the baby or not wanting uh, to engage as much. But then if that lifts in about two, three weeks, then that that's still in the normal realm of your hormones adjusting, everything kind of resetting, regulating in your body biologically as well as emotionally. And so hopefully, you know, if that lifts and you're getting the support you need and then you you should be you know doing okay but if that continues beyond that 2 week mark and especially in the you know by your 6 week appointment then that is typical uh signs and symptoms for some red flags of postpartum depression postpartum anxiety which can keep you up at night um as well as give you intrusive thoughts which that is it, they can be thoughts of harming yourself and the baby. They could also just be repetitive thoughts that you can't shut off. So it could be um, even mimicking some symptoms of OCD, which postpartum OCD is another perinatal mood disorder. So it really does, um, the spectrum for these disorders are, they are vast. And if it's disrupting your daily life and how you typically function, so if you have a support system and your partner is saying you are just not acting like yourself or that seems really unusual for you or are you sure about that that those are really red flags for you to say okay this i just don't feel like myself and that's kind of the the layman's language for mm -hmm. uh okay that that's when you need to see your doctor see a counselor come give me a call you know and reach out for uh some assistance and we're happy to screen you so there's um a 10 question questionnaire that helps screen moms for postpartum depression. I also have another one for postpartum anxiety. And we, we try to integrate that with uh, local OB offices, pediatricians and hospitals. That's part of the effort of readiness counseling is to help inform the healthcare providers as well as doulas and lactation consultants who can kind of start to be on the front lines and notice, okay, this mom's not sleeping or this mom's sleeping all the time or, you know, kind of those extremes um, that she's not eating. She is eating all the time, you know, the, that if it swings one way or the other and is, again, just not yourself and it's disrupting your life, then there's treatment that you need. And we don't we we're not scared of it because we know what to plan for and how to help you. Sometimes that can involve medication, but it certainly doesn't have to, and it doesn't all the time. And we really integrate care with some uh, uh, psychiatric nurse practitioners if medication is needed. And again, I just emphasize that this is 100% treatable and temporary. And so 
Um, and it can come anytime in the first 12 months following childbirth. So that's the other thing is a lot of times there's a misconception that if you make it out of the two weeks and you, you're doing good, then you're free sailing. You, you should never have a problem after that. And, and that's not true. It actually can hit anytime. And so if you have a nine month old and all of a sudden you aren't sleeping, and you have racing thoughts and you don't know why you're anxious and you are imagining, you know, things that are unwanted. Uh, those are signs and symptoms that it's time to reach out for some assistance. And we see progress in, a, I mean, from a few days to a few weeks that a, a life can be totally turned around and the help that you get is immediate. And we always are, um, really on top of making sure that you get the help that you seek, even if it's not with us. So there's myself and I have a counselor, Sarah Boyle in Cool Springs, and she helps Williamson County residents. And then I have another counselor, Amy Green in the Nashville area. And we offer in-home assistance as well. So we'll come into your home so you don't have to get a babysitter for your toddler or you don't have to, you know, make uh, extra arrangements or traffic, you know, fight traffic in Nashville We'll set up a time to come into your home or we have offices that are available for you to come visit. And if you want to see us once, that's awesome. If you want to continue care and get coping skills um, throughout the time until you're better, then we're here for you through the whole journey. That's great. And I love that you go to people's houses because that's one of the biggest issues is trying to get, Mm -hmm. especially if you have multiple kids, that's not easy to get everybody out and then sit in an office um, yep. while you're trying to run after your children. I mean, it's very hard to focus. So I think that's a great service that you provide. And that leads me into, as we wrap up, where can people yeah. find you on social media and and if you could share your website? Absolutely. So we're on Instagram at ReadyNest Counseling. Uh, Facebook as well. If you just see search ReadyNest Counseling or facebook.com slash ReadyNest Counseling. And then our website is readinesscounseling.com and you can find all our contact information. There's even a, a free download of a small ebook that I wrote specifically for readiness counseling. That's for relationships. It's called sit, stay, good marriage. So you're welcome to go to our website and download that for absolutely free. And if you have any questions at all, I absolutely encourage anybody to just reach out whatever phase of life you're in. Uh, start early. Don't wait for anxiety or fears to decide for you when you need help. Don't wait for the crisis. Come in, get the tools, chat with us. You know, we're, I'm so happy to just sit down where with you wherever you are and we'll start where we can and get you to where you want to go. Perfect. Well, Emily, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I know this will leave moms inspired to be more vocal on what they need and how to prepare for transitions in their lives. Thank you, Amber. Thank you so much. And I am not just a, uh, at being interviewed. I'm also a big fan of your show. So I just want to say thanks as a mom and entrepreneur. I love the mom inspired show and I'm, I'm so glad to be on it today. Thank you. Oh, that's so sweet. Thank you. And there you have it. Hey, you guys, if you haven't left a review for the mom inspired show yet, I would greatly appreciate it, especially if you are international. So I just recently found out that I cannot see 
international reviews on iTunes. If you live somewhere else, you know, right now, Japan is right under the United States for downloads um, and Canada is right after that. Um, if you live in those countries and there's a few other countries as well, I would love for you to write a review so that way people that are in your country, they can actually see the reviews, even though I can't. So I would greatly appreciate that. And for my fellow Americans, I would love your reviews too. So that's a great way for people to, you know, find more information about the show. I have learned that it does make a difference. People do look at the reviews. So if you want to support me, that is one way to do it. All right, you guys, I hope you enjoyed this show and I will see you next week.